Welcome to Feminist Erotica, a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women. Join Jera, Karen, and Princess for stimulating interviews that explore feminist representations of desire, as well as short and sweet erotic snippets read by the authors themselves. This episode is sponsored by Just the Tip, Rebellious Magazine's inclusive sex and relationship advice column where you'll find interviews with sexuality researchers and educators, as well as compassionate responses to anonymous questions. Check it out at rebelliousmagazine.com slash just dash the dash tip. Welcome listeners. I am Jara, one of the co-hosts of Feminist Erotica, and joining me today is Amanda Deal, Amanda is one of the bitches at Smart Bitches Trashy Books. You can find that amazing website full of various reviews and interviews about mostly romance novels at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. Amanda was a former chemistry major and realized that she was going to be miserable at age of 40, so she switched to looking into editing, writing, and media and earned an MA in publishing and writing in Boston. She's been with Smart Bitches Tratchy Books for I think a long time, right? Like how many years? Since 2012. Since 2012 as one of the the resident reviewers and also works part-time with an independent bookstore. Are you are you in Boston or near Boston? Correct. It's near Boston. Yeah, it's outside yeah. of Cambridge, Mass. I feel like anytime we can support independent bookstores at this moment, it's great. So can you tell us a little bit about the bookstore? Sure. So um, I actually help out with two bookstores. One, I run a romance book club at Porter Square Books in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, They are a wonderful independent bookstore. And I work at Belmont Books, which is in Belmont, Massachusetts, and they're also a wonderful bookstore. I have nothing but good things about the kind of like book people that I've met and that I get to communicate with and work with. It's been wonderful. Awesome. Okay, I saw Belmont attached to your Twitter. So you can find Amanda on Twitter at underscore I am an adult. I'm an adult. And (laughs) she has the Belmont bookstore link to it as well. And you should follow Amanda for reviews and other geeking out about books, right? Uh, What are you reading right now? So I'm reading The Roommate by Rosie Dannon, which is blowing my mind because the hero is a sex worker. He's an adult Mm. film star. And I'm just, it's a lot of fun. I've read previous romances that kind of try to tackle sex work and like the pornography industry with disastrous results. So this is kind of the first one that I'm reading that really has a lot more positivity. And, you know, there's a surprising amount of slut shaming in the ones that I've read previously. Um, So this has been like a little gem to read and I'm enjoying it a lot. Nice. Yeah, it's gotten good reviews. It it just recently came out, right? It'll be out in two weeks. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, does the author have a relationship to sex work? Or do you know how? I don't know. Um, I have no idea. That's a good question. I'd be curious to know 
if she does yeah. or if there was any sort of like research involved with like interviewing and consulting sex workers. Yeah, I'm curious too. Yeah, maybe we will do some research into that and yeah. put it in this, the show notes. Um, what other types of things do you, is your like reading niche usually? So I like horror. Um, I'm a huge horror reader. I'm actually putting together this amazing women in horror panel for the bookstore that's in October. So I read a lot of that and my romance reading tends to be a little angstier, a little darker, a little sexier. Uh, If there's just kissing in the book, not for me. Uh, I want all the bells and whistles. So that's typically what I gravitate towards. Um, and then nonfiction here or there, I prefer listening to nonfiction, but that's typically what I, I go for. And I like sci-fi fantasy every now and then, and kind of all across the board. I think a lot of us that are like true book lovers are like that, right? Yeah. As long as it put a good book in front of me, that's all I care about. (laughs) Where do you find, where do you tend to find books that you love? So I used to work in publishing. I was a publicist and you have like access to a lot of like newsletters and stuff like that. So like Publishers Lunch is one, for Mm -hmm. example, uh, that talks about new book deals that have been made. So I find things that I can look forward to through there. Goodreads, I mean, I don't, I mainly use it to keep track of books that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. So Goodreads is another one. But I think just by the nature of working at a bookstore, reviewing books, I, I think staying on top of new releases is part of the job. And I think I also have like cultivated a good book community on social Mm -hmm. media. So a lot of my Twitter contacts and Twitter friends are also readers and I take their suggestions very seriously. Like if they're tweeting about and loving a book, you know, I I immediately Google it and check it out because I trust their opinion. So we talked a little bit before about uh, basically what to talk about in this interview. (laughs) Um, And I I loved your suggestions. And it's actually, I think, shaping what we think of as season two now. The way one of the co-hosts described it is erotica as a springboard for identity and self-care. And it was some of the things that, that you'd mentioned. But one of the first things you mentioned was that a reading erotica or or steamy literature of any genre helped you be a better communicator and I wondered if you could just expand on that. Sure um so with romance you know it does have its problematic issues like you know the hyper focus on virginity is something Mm -hmm. that I struggle with right um but there are also scenes where the heroine will kind of like take agency over what she wants in the bedroom. And, you know, like there's always like a running joke of like men don't know what to do or or whatever. But I think no matter who you are with in the bedroom, regardless of the partner, I think it's really important to have an open line of communication because we can't read each other's minds. 
Um, and you really have to tell them what you want. You know, like one consent is important. So it's always good to communicate your wants and needs and whether something is or isn't okay. But it's also important to reaffirm that your partner's doing a good job. <laughs> right. <laughs> that like, oh, that's good. Keep going. Or if there's something new that you want to try. I feel like it's also helped me get rid of a lot of the shame and like asking for what I want in the mm. bedroom. The worst thing you can do is your partner not be interested and that's okay. And you just move on. But I think it's really helped give me the vocabulary to open up a dialogue with my current and past sexual partners. Mm. And it's also helped me be more attuned to my own sexuality and that it's okay to be a sexual creature, you know, want those things and experience desire in a kind of unabashed way. Are there specific books or scenes that come to mind when you think about things that gave you permission to start asking for what you wanted or, or the language? So I guess there are two books that immediately come to mind. One is kind of like where I got started in reading these sorts of books. And I was probably, so I'm 31. And this was probably in my late teens, early 20s. I picked up, it's called like the Club Shadowlands series by Cherise Sinclair. And it's about, and I'm from Florida. And it's about this like kink club, this BDSM club that's in Tampa, <laughs> Tampa, Florida. And it's just like, over the top and to be honest in romance there are so many like kink and sex clubs in erotic romance that I feel like if all of them existed you couldn't throw a stone without like hitting one on a street corner right <laughs> um so like that was probably my first interaction uh with BDSM in romance um, and that's something that I've gone on to like enjoy and explore and explore with partners. Um, so that definitely opened up a community that I didn't really know existed uh, before then. And then the second book, and that I don't know how you feel or like what you give in terms of like content warnings, but content warning for this book, especially, it's called Asking For It by Lila Pace. And the main character, it has great representation of a heroine going to therapy for sexual trauma. But it, the heroine also realizes that in terms of sex and what arouses her is the, the setup of like non-consensual sex. So like that sort of role play. And I had never seen that before in a romance novel that like playing of like non-con stuff even though it was consensual between both parties and that's something that I found so interesting and I feel like speaks to a lot of the interest I have in like darker romances where like those lines are blurred and some books don't always do it well but I really enjoy I think it's a duology but I really enjoyed that book and how 
you get to see the main character kind of like work through both her trauma, how it relates to her sexuality and her desire, and how she then communicates that to her partner mm-hmm. and how she kind of navigates worrying about judgment or like disgust or anything like that. So those are the two books that I think are most memorable for me that either have like started this journey or like were a milestone of sorts. But those two, I mean, the Club Shadowland series is not fantastic, (laughs) but there's there's a million of them and they're kind of like potato chips. They're quick Mm -hmm. reads, but they're kind of corny. But yeah, I feel like that was like my first like BDSM erotica that I read. And I'm like, oh, this sounds interesting. Right. Okay. Two things come to mind. First of all, I went to FetishCon for the first time last year. I didn't know that was a thing. It is a thing. It's it's predominantly fetish performers mm-hmm. uh, that do like fetish-oriented porn. And I do, I have... I do fetish clips under a different name. Uh, so I went to meet people and I found out just how kinky Tampa really is. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes total sense to me. It's like there's, if you're not in Las Vegas, like, and you're, you're filming fetish oriented stuff, like the second guess is that you're going to be in Tampa. <laughs> I didn't know that like Tampa was a big fetish hub. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, it's like weird fetish, like not just straight BDSM, but, you know, just true fetish stuff as opposed to just straight kink. And then I I relate to like the darker stuff. In college, I discovered Anne Bishop. And yeah, and I don't know that I don't know that you would say that she writes straight BDSM stuff. I don't feel like she does, but she explores like the the darker side of people in very beautiful ways especially the ephemera series as a like I was attending this like small Christian liberal arts college (laughs) where like you're not even supposed to know that you have genitalia (laughs) and I felt so dirty reading this stuff but also like I think Anne Bishop I think I owe her like the huge thanks for like introducing me to this idea that like the darker aspects of a person can be just as like healing and and wonderful yeah so (laughs) sometimes you hold on to those things that you like started with I guess now I you know it feels like one of those things that happens is like there's books that open you up to things and you need them and then sometimes you realize that they're really not all that good or they're not all that well written And then you're searching for other things and then it becomes this hunt. Like who, for instance, who writes about BDSM well, you know? Ooh, I feel like I haven't read BDSM, like a really good BDSM romance in a long time. I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of the books that I've picked up in the past couple years have been stinkers. (laughs) Where I'm like, this is terrible like I there was one that had such good potential where Mm. this woman gets hired to kind of help help plan and like architect this new kink club but she knows nothing about kink and I feel like the hero Uh. took advantage of that 
yeah. and does these things that like I don't think would fly at all but I thought how cool would it be to have like a renovation romance but for like a kink club <laughs> and the hero and heroine or like the two main characters argue about like where to put like placement of certain things or certain items <laughs> I think that would be cute and funny but that's not what happened so I, I feel like I haven't read any good ones in a very long time there was one series that I started that I enjoyed but each subsequent book just got worse so I wouldn't even recommend that series yeah that's depressing that I can't think of any like recent good ones so we're gonna keep brainstorming this and you should follow Amanda on Twitter (laughs) follow us on Twitter at feminist erotic and we will be looking for great new BDSM fiction and if you have suggestions give them to me exactly shout out to us about stuff. I mean, the classic is Crucial's Dart series. Yep, Jacqueline Carey. Yeah, and Sinclair Smith does, or Sex, I'm sorry, Sinclair Sex Smith does some really interesting shorts. But yeah, where's the good BDSM stuff, folks? It's interesting to hear this. Like, yeah, it, it makes sense. Like, you, you become exposed to characters exploring things, uh, consensual, non consent. That's awesome. It's not one that I've come across in, in fiction. And that's, it's definitely a, ve- a strong kink of mine and it's hard to do well. Um, you also talked about that it, it's not just communicating in the bedroom, but you also talked about like how it's helped you communicate with your parents. And I'm curious, like outside of the bedroom, how have you learned to communicate better? So I think the, the core when it comes to communication is like, no one knows what I'm thinking unless I tell them, Mm. you know, it's like, why are you mad? Oh, well, you know what you did. And it's like, no, I don't know what I did. You know, I'm just acting like I normally would. And I, you know, perhaps someone hit a button that they didn't know you had. And also like, I credit this with years and years of therapy. I am a strong, (laughs) I, I am a strong proponent of therapy. I go every other week. And we do get conditioned to have this like fear about like talking about your feelings or being vulnerable. And that is something that I struggle with is making myself vulnerable. But that's something that comes easily for me in the bedroom, but not necessarily in my everyday life. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I I relate. I, I feel like by the time you let somebody into the bedroom, there's hopefully more trust built up that allows for vulnerability that doesn't exist elsewhere. Yeah. And oddly enough, like I feel more comfortable being naked than I do like expressing deep feelings that I have. So it's kind of being vulnerable in that way has helped me kind of take baby steps to being a more vulnerable person outside of that space. Yeah, that makes sense. In my column, Just a Tip, I did this series around chronic pelvic pain where I interviewed a bunch of specialists about it. And one of the things that kept coming up was that everything is connected. Like, uh, oh shoot, I forget the therapist's name. Um, I'll try to include, I'll include a link to this in the show notes that 
it's a therapist I was talking about that when folks come to her with pelvic pain, they often think that it's just about like what's going on with that specific area of the body. And they don't realize that it's all really about control. And it's just like trauma. Trauma is about control. So if you don't feel in control of your relationship, if you don't feel in control of your finances, the body manifests it in a very physical way. And you don't always have control then over how the body manifests it. So working on your sense of control then can also then help you with your pain issues. And it reminded me of that in the sense of like, if you find your voice in one part area of your life, then it helps you find your voice in other areas of your life. Definitely. So books, romance novels get pigeonholed as being very dramatic or melodramatic, which is also then what women are, women and, and, and queer folk are, are told is our issue. It feels like one of the stumbling blocks in finding our voice is like, well, if we find our voice and we become too much, right? So yeah. how do you see that as a reader, like, do you grapple with this with characters like, oh, this character is being melodramatic or, oh, this character like is being logical or how does it help you find your own sense of voice? And So I do think in romance, there's a lot of internalized misogyny. Mm -hmm. And I see this a lot. And I, sometimes I have to check myself as well that sometimes we're harder on the women in a book than we are on on the male characters like they can get away with a lot yeah. but as long as they have a good grovel at the end it's fine but you know like there's frequently like an evil hypersexualized ex in the book or like i said the the focus on virginity or mm. you know if the heroine's too selfish for wanting certain things and it's not like hypocritical, but it's a weird dichotomy that romance is and kind of positions itself as this feminist bastion of reading material. And a lot of it is, mm -hmm. but in a lot of ways we uphold certain things that I think are harmful to sexual health and how we express ourselves. So it's kind of mixed messaging. And it's like, what, what do you pick up from reading these books? Do you pick up that, um, like virginity is something to be prized and um, a man will be disappointed if you're not a virgin? Or do you pick up the fact that, um, you know, a woman is trying to own her sexual experiences and her sexual identity? Like it varies from book to book. And it's like, what do you take away? And I feel like a lot of romances coming out now really address that. Um, but if you're like me and you, you start reading these books when you're like 15 or 16, getting them at your library, finding them like in a bin in the shed somewhere around, you know, they used to be your mom's. Like <laughs> if that's your first experience, I can understand why people are like, ooh, Maybe not for me. Um, so romance has evolved. And I always think that 
when someone says they don't like romance novels, I, I just think, well, you haven't found your niche yet. Mm. Have you been reading historicals? Well, maybe try contemporaries. So I think kind of it's important when and how you pick up romances, um, like which ones you kind of start with. Cause I can understand if someone picked up an old, like Bertrice small book where woman's getting kidnapped and, you know, sexually assaulted. If someone's like, Oh, definitely do not want this. Um, so it's, it's hard. Cause there is this like, a lot of people, their vision of romance hasn't moved past, like, Fabio, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's also this tension between writing realistic, flawed characters and writing a vision of the world you want to see. And then also then just that the authors were all, I think because we all grew up entrenched in patriarchy, that we're still learning how it affects us and, and authors are learning that along with us. How do readers have a voice in terms of like, I, I guess reviews, right? Like how do you call out authors when you see these things about like, this is something that needs to change in these books? So reviews definitely, but I think the biggest problem in terms of publishing is that these things have gotten to a point where they're being published in the first place. and. Mm -hmm there wasn't someone along the line of whether it was in acquiring it or editing it that someone didn't say, Hey, wait a minute. Right. Let's look at this. I mean, it was only a few years ago. So Sarah who runs the website, smart bitches mm -hmm. is Jewish. And a few years ago, there was a book nominated for a Rita award. That was a, romance between a Nazi officer and a Jewish woman who can mm. pass as Aryan. And like, how is this nominated for an award? And it, it makes you question like, was there no one in the publishing process that saw this as harmful? Mm. Um, so yes, readers can definitely call it out and reviews, but I also think some of the responsibility is on the industry as well to kind of check harmful stories or harmful scenes like that. Um, it's a group effort. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. So we talked about like finding a voice and becoming a better communicator. And you talked a little bit about how it's helped you explore your own sexuality by like finding these various things that you're interested in. I feel like a lot of this happened, we think that it happens at least more when we're sort of young and naive and don't know what we like. But can you talk a little bit about how you continue to be surprised by yourself and your identity through reading? Or at, yeah. That, so I feel like I didn't have my big like sexual awakening until I was 27-ish. Mm. I had gotten out of a long-term relationship and I had just moved to Boston. I grew up in a very small town in Florida. I, you know, I did my bachelor's in Tallahassee. So not like a metropolis is where right. I'm from. <laughs> and so I moved to New England. I had a breakup that was not great. And I was like feeling really shitty 
And then I discovered Tinder. <laughs> My <laughs> whole world changed. Funny. Tinder had just come out. And I just kind of like really embraced. I was very busy. I was doing grad school. I had an internship. I had a job. Mm -hmm. I had like no time for anything else. But I still miss that kind of physical connection with other people. And so like, I just kind of slutted up for a while. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. It was a lot of fun. It gave me like such confidence to just like be upfront with my partners. It's like, hey, I'm honestly just like looking for someone to have like sexual fun with as a kind of like stress release because I'm so busy and like I don't want anything I don't want a relationship because I just got out of one and I just kind of mm -hmm. want to experience I don't know other people multiple people <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I feel like you know, coming from a small, very conservative town, like, we didn't have sexual education. Like, sex ed right. was, like, abstinence and, you know, that sort of thing. But, I don't know, like, sowing my wild oats was <laughs> a lot of fun. And I feel like I wouldn't have had, not necessarily, like, the confidence, but maybe it is the confidence to be like, hey... You know, I know some people are looking for relationships on here. Some people see this as a hookup app. It depends on what you want. Um, but, like, I want to take control of kind of, like, that part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I did, and it was great. And then my boyfriend of four and a half years I met on Tinder. So nice. <laughs> it was funny. I did a podcast on smart bitches about, like, my Tinder experiences and everyone had like code names in my phone and mm -hmm. you know <laughs> um so but after I went on my first date with my now boyfriend Eric he like googled my name and found that podcast oh no <laughs> <laughs> I listened to it and I was like oh you know like you know he wasn't scared off or anything um sure. Which I totally respect because, you know, some people would be, um, you know, your sex number sometimes right. is more important to people, which I don't mm -hmm. understand. But yeah, I, I don't know if the age at which I felt more in control of my sexuality is later than others, but I don't regret like the age at which I started oh, no. yeah you know it i started well christian baggage like <laughs> I, I didn't start having sex until i was 26 and my only regret about that is that i didn't get the hpv vaccine because of it because uh, i had absolutely no reason i thought to visit a gynecologist until i was sexually active and then it was too late i think they're starting kids the folks out on it yep younger now so it's yeah. just not as much of an issue but I'm old so, <laughs> yeah I definitely I definitely had that experience of like being grateful that I, I started later because I I had a little more confidence and vocabulary around what I wanted when I started but I think what I meant and maybe maybe this is just a timeline question like 
were the books that you were reading them where you figured out that you were interested in BDSM and con non con and stuff, was that all that same time then? Or did that, that come so, earlier? I would say the, it started earlier. So I would okay. say it started late teens. So. Right, right. You said that. Well, like, so I, I know this is like a, a hot topic in queer communities. I see myself as bisexual, mm -hmm. but I know certain people struggle with that definition because bi means two. But in my opinion, like, I that definition for me, which I guess overlaps with like pansexual, is like uh, someone's gender doesn't factor mm -hmm. for me um, yeah. in terms of sexual and romantic attraction. Like, you know, I have varying limits in terms of like, oh, well, I'm more sexually attracted to women and I'm more romantically attracted to men or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like that started taking root in who I am as a person, kind of like mid to late teens. Mm -hmm. And then I would say kind of like kink community stuff, late-ish to early, late teens, early 20s. And then I can't remember when Asking For It by Lila Pace came out. I know I was living in Boston. So within the last seven years. Okay. When I read it. Let's catch up in the relay. Like you're going through this, what I think is a very common, like grad school uh, <laughs> slut festival. I went through it. Uh, I because like you, you can't, you're needy. Like you need things, but you don't have... You're just exhausted as a bandwidth. grad. <laughs> yeah. Were there, were there, did there continue to be books that like you could come, you could return to or that you found that, that supported this? Oh, I don't know. There is one book that I love. It's not fiction. And it's a book that I kind of try to recommend or give to everyone. And it's Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Oh, nice. Okay. It kind of like really, not necessarily simplified like sexual health and sexual mm -hmm. desire, but it made it not as scary, I suppose. Right. Because I'm sure you understand this with Christian baggage, like your knowledge of sexual health and sex in general is so limited yeah. And you get, like, conditioned to think of it as scary or something bad. Mm -hmm. um, and to kind of have these things, like, why your body responds a certain way or, you know, that sort of thing kind of laid out in a pretty, like, you know, this isn't anything to be ashamed of. This isn't anything scary. Like, these are the facts. Has kind of helped with easing some of the stigma about being like, you know, an attendee of the slut festival. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think once again about like finding your voice, I, it seems related that like, if you can find somebody that talks about things in a different way, it can help change your opinion of it. Um, which we potentially did not have access to growing up. <laughs> Remember my sex education like in eighth grade was like this person passing around a candy bar and relating that to like your sexual purity. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, once you ate it, it was all gone. 
like, this is not the but image that a, I wanted. But you had a good time eating it, though. <laughs> you can just get another candy bar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel so bad for all of us. Um, and <laughs> I do hope things are changing. And, I, and I'm glad that there are people like Emily Nagoski and um, the Kinsey Institute. At least they were. They did have a great blog going for um, for college students that and also Scarletine. There are resources out there, which is great. You're talking about the issues with the romance uh, genre and how it needs to change. But as a reader, like, how do you suggest reading things with a critical eye in order to get get the things out of it that we need to get out of it? Uh, permission to be a sexual person, doing these journeys with these characters to find your voice and sexuality. How do you do that while not absorbing its issues and its repetitive patriarchal conditioning? I feel like I'm in a a position of expertise, I suppose. I feel like it's easy for me because I've been doing it for a while. Mm. And I and I feel comfortable with myself and who I am and my sexuality, you know, once again, thanks to therapy. <laughs> Shout out to my therapist, Katie. So I think it's easier for me because I've been reading romance for a decade and a half at this point. Um, I've experienced the bad stuff. And for newer readers, it might be harder. And I think that's where like the romance community comes in. Yeah. So part of one of the things I do for the site is I put together like daily books on sale Mm. and sometimes I'll throw in an older title that some people might have started reading romance from like for example was it The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen Woodowis or The Wolf and the Dove by Kathleen Woodowis and those books are just chock full of like sexual assault Mm. Um, and so, you know, people might be interested in having it for like a nostalgia purpose, but there are so many people who chime in. It's like, listen, I started with this book, but I'm telling you not worth it. Like you might want to, you might think it's part of like the romance canon and that like you need to do your due diligence and read the classics, but like save, save your time Mm. and your energy and your anger and your frustration. So I think kind of crowdsourcing these books has been really helpful. I know like Goodreads can be a bit of a trash fire sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like some people there are super detailed in their reviews of mm-hmm. like these are the content warnings you have to look out for so you're not surprised or you know I also try not to pass judgment on what readers like to read. Um, sure. You know, something might not be for me, but I guarantee you there's a dozen readers who are like, well, that's for me. Like, I, you know, you might not like that, but that's like, that ticks all my boxes. Um, so I feel that the romance community has been a bit of a boon when it comes to, I don't know, like feeling like we're all in this together. We want to get the good parts out and kind of ignore the bad parts, but also kind of contribute to making the genre better. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, so I mean, it's easier for me, but 
you know, I'm not perfect. I look to other readers that I trust for like commentary on books that I'm thinking about or especially, you know, readers who read genres that I'm not as familiar with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, never be afraid to like ask someone like, hey, did you read this? What did you think? What were your takeaways? Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And I, I, I've definitely done it when I, I've been looking at what books I want to invest in. I will look at smart bitches, trashy books, read the review because the site and the, the people that review for it are so great at, at being fair about pointing out the issues and also pointing out what it, what it does well. I think that all of us are learning how to recondition ourselves or decondition ourselves. And I think you're right that the, the community is just a part of that because we don't know what we're not aware of yet. Yeah. So there's sites like Smart Bitches, Trashy Books, and the related podcast, which does a great job of going in depth with different authors. There's Goodreads. There's Twitter. But I can understand if you don't want to be on Twitter right now. Right. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, is there... Do you have any thoughts, like things that I didn't ask you about that you think are really relevant to this conversation? Oh, I don't know. I just, I feel like people should, in general, like experiment more with everything, Mm -hmm. with your reading, with the food you choose to eat, the places you choose to go, the things you do in the bedroom, like variety is a spice of life, I suppose. (laughs) And, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying something new. But no, I don't think there's anything that I have left unsaid, I suppose. Nice. I just want to add that one of the things that we thought about doing um, with this podcast, like, I think we're very hesitant to, we being the co-hosts, we're very hesitant to um, recommend books, especially books we haven't read because of this idea of wanting to support feminist values. And one idea we came up with was like, creating basically a Bechdel test for feminist literature. And we've been going through and just thinking about things like, well, what does make something feminist? Obviously, like enthusiastic consent is up there. Characters having this journey of self-discovery and being whole characters and not just objectified for the point of getting off. So I don't, is there, when you think about things that make specific romantic text, erotic text, feminist, is there anything else that comes to mind? So you mentioned the idea of like whole characters. One of the things that I feel like is important to me as a, you know, self-proclaimed feminist is um, kind of like having an identity that is wholly my own and not being tied to the happiness of another person. Mm. And sometimes I see that a lot in romance where a main character will do a lot of self-sacrificing for the other person. And I fully believe like life shouldn't be like that. You should be able to come together as two separate people and form something complementary rather than having to like chip away pieces of yourself to make things work. That's important to me as a reader. I don't know if that makes something feminist um, or contributes to that definition. 
I fully believe, you know, like in terms of like the age old question of like, is a stay at home mom feminist, you know, if a woman is happy and that's the, the direction she wants to go, then have at it. And I feel that way about my reading too, is that, you know, I want the people I read about to kind of like be happy with themselves and their choices and not have that happiness kind of hinge on anything else. Yeah, I love that answer. And that's, it's good, it's good relationship advice in general and it's sometimes hard to keep in mind because there is this ethic or ethos of sacrificing for your partner and it's a hard and and the idea that like selfishness is bad so it's a hard balance to find oh yeah i i feel like this well 2020 is a little different but i feel like a recent lesson that i've learned in therapy is like selfishness is not a four-letter word you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like growing up we're taught that like being selfish is bad But like, as you get older, you realize that being selfish is self-care sometimes, you know, like that's what you have to do to, to maintain some like equilibrium to just like take care of yourself emotionally and physically is like, quote unquote, be selfish. So a call to action for listeners to, to end on is that be selfish in your book choices, read the things <laughs> that bring you pleasure, that delight you, and bring you joy, no matter how silly, no matter what the cover looks like. Any book recommendation to end on? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I will say, so I, if you want a burn it all down, angry, feminist, spooky read. Nice. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I highly recommend, it's called The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. Mm. It's, I think, her debut. It is so cathartic to read. I really enjoyed it. So that is the one book recommendation I will pass along. I love it. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, I guess that's all I have. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll be looking for those recommendations for hot, awesome BDSM books. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. Thank you, Chara. <laughs> Feminist Erotica is a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women, hosted by Jara Brown, Princess McDowell, and Karen Hawkins. If you have an idea for a future episode or want to share your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at feministerotica at rebelliousmagazine.com Follow us on Instagram at Feminist Erotica Podcast, on Facebook at Feminist Erotica, and on Twitter at Feminist Erotic. And make sure you subscribe to us wherever you devour podcasts.